Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at UH1.com. Welcome one and all to the Storybox podcast, the place to be if you are a lover of stories. My name is Jay Phantom, former real estate agent now, living my purpose, sharing amazing stories from people all over the world. I'm grateful that you're here today. Now let's journey into the Storybox together and hear more about whose story will be unboxed today. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to Storybox Podcast. I am so thrilled that you decided to tune in to this week's episode. Today, my friends, I have Zara Bari. If you don't know who Zara is, she is the recent author of Girls Stop Passing Out in Your Makeup. And before that, Zara is a millennial writer who has been pouring out her heart on the internet for over a decade after studying at New York Conservatory for Dramatic Arts She became the assistant director of Planned Parenthood Internationally Recognized. Um, Source Teen Theater, one of the most esteemed youth outreach programs in the nation. At Source, Zara wrote and directed original plays tackling provocative issues that directly responded to the needs of high-risk youth such as teen pregnancy and depression, um, opiate addiction, and sexual trauma. Zara and her army of teen actors traveled around the country and performed everywhere from uh, detention centers to second chance schools to global conferences. At the age of 26, Zara became the senior sex and dating writer at the popular digital publication Elite Daily, founded by my friend Gerard Adams. Her first essay went viral and she quickly became one of the most popular writers on the site notorious for writing candid first-person essays about sexual identity. This is a very fascinating conversation, very vulnerable, very real. We talk about her latest book, Girls Stop Passing Out in Your Makeup, among many, many other things, depression, anxiety, identity, you name it. There's a lot in here uh, to get to get or glean from, from Zara. So I know you guys are going to get a lot out of this one. Please do If you get something from it, share it around to your friends and your family members. Let them know about this one. Uh, Also, please leave a rating and review over on our podcast. It goes a long way in helping uh, build this community once again. Thank you to Zara and her incredible story. Um, Really appreciate you. So if you guys know what time it is, it's time to dive into Storybox and hear Zara Marie's story. Thank you. I'm excited to be here and excited to uh, get down and dirty in a conversation. Let's do it. <laughs> Let's, <laughs> Let's do, do it. it. <laughs> I'm not, I'm, I don't shy away from having deep, meaningful conversations and I don't care how personal we get. I'm more than happy to get personal if you are. Uh, this... I mean, that's what I do. I basically make my, 
living off of getting really personal. So that's that's the I'm way life works. It. That's the best part about life, I reckon. That's how you connect with people a little bit more. Right. There's no point in being surface level. But before we get into all that, I have one question that I love asking people to start off with, and that is, what does success look like to you? What does success look like to me? That's a great question. Um, and it's ever evolving, to be honest. I think even just a year ago, what success looked like is so different than what it is now. Um, but I would say today, because it could change tomorrow. To me, it's honestly having control over my life and living my life on my own terms. Um, I actually recently just left my day job at a magazine and I loved mm. working at the magazine, but um, I really just wanted to be in total creative control of like my destiny and um, not have to sort of check in with someone to express myself. And creative control is really something that I've always left it after. So to me, more than money, more than any sort of notoriety or fame or followers, it's really having creative control and being mm -hmm. able to call the shot. Where did this idea an answer to anyone? No, Pardon? that's good. That's good. I, I really like that. Where did this idea of success come from for you? Has it sort of been like this gradual thing over time that you sort of looked at it like my life to me is what I can control that for me is success or was there a catalyst moment somewhere in your life that made you realize it? I definitely think it was a catalyst moment, to be mm. honest. Um, I think that when I was younger, I very much viewed success as validation from the masses, being liked, being adored. Um, I struggled with self-esteem and I always sort of looked for it in other people's approval. And, you know, one, and actually I can tell you the exact moment I was sitting in a creative content meeting. I had a fabulous idea. I knew that it would resonate so much with our audience because as a writer, I feel like writers really have the closest connection with the audience, much more than people who tend to call the shots at magazines. You know, I'm on Instagram DMing with them. I know what resonates with them. And it was just really shot down. And I was like, you know what? I don't want to do this anymore. Mm. I really want to be the sort of creative director. And to me, that is so much more fulfilling than, you know, living up to somebody else's expectations of what resonates with an audience. Um, mm. So, yeah, it was a moment I had in a meeting and I really just thought it's time for me to do this on my own. Mm. And then I began to reflect on how much I've compromised over the years and how much frustration I've had. And thought, what the hell are you waiting for? Like now's the time, rip the bandaid off mm. and do the shit that you want to do and see how it lands. If you didn't have someone knocking down your ideas, what would you create? So mm. I love how you mentioned, I love how you mentioned the, the ripping off the bandaid analogy, because I often use that as well. But then when I say, when you rip off the bandaid, it oftentimes hurts for a little bit. But then after Definitely. that, it heals a lot quicker because you're allowing yourself open to the elements, which is, it takes time, but time is the best healer. And I think that- You know, it's funny. I'm mm, oh, sorry, go on. You, you go, go, go for it. I'm so sorry to cut you off. I just got really excited. Yeah, go for um, it, yeah. Because I agree. I could not agree more. And in fact, that's what my book is about. And 
when I say, you know, girls stop passing out your makeup, a lot of people think that it's about beauty or skincare. And actually, I don't give a shit if you sleep in your makeup. That's my version of using the Band-Aid metaphor. Mm. It's like, take it off, take the makeup off, let the wound heal, let it breathe so it can get some air. And let's look at how the wound got there to begin with. And let's also just dare to see it as beautiful rather mm. than it's something you have to cover up. So mm. I love that you said that because that's exactly... I kind of think of it as like maybe just a more feminine way of saying rip the goddamn bandaid off. <laughs> yeah. And don't be afraid to do it. I think there's oftentimes a lot of fear associated with actually ripping it off because as human beings, it's kind of like that fight or flight syndrome. Like we don't want to experience that pain because that pain is almost like it's bad for us. But I always say Zara that it is better to experience pain. And I have a, a saying that I often uh, give to people that I want to ask you, would you rather sink or swim? Um, sink. Good. Why? Because I just think that I want to get to the bottom of the ocean and see what's there, even if I die, mm. as opposed to just struggling and staying afloat. Like, that's not interesting to me. Um, I want to, I want to, yeah, I want to go down. I want to see what's really at the bottom of the ocean. And if it kills me, so be it. But I don't want to just be like gasping for air at the surface. I like that because there's a uh, sink, swim or drown. But I always ask right. people sink or swim first, because I always want to see if their mindset is around swimming, because that's what everyone sort of wants to be at that level of because swimming equals excitement swimming equals success or what we claim to be success it's freedom it's all the things that is good that's what it resembles but what's better and what i use this analogy for is you don't learn how to swim first the very first thing you learn how to do is sink but the thing is right. we all want to swim without sinking but you're not going to swim without sinking there's I like how you mentioned there that you want to get to the bottom. And even if you do get to the bottom, that's still okay. If you die, that's okay. Life is ultimately going to be okay, but you learn more when you actually sink than you do when you swim. So I like how, right. yeah, I like that. Right. I, there's this song by this artist named Ani DeFranco and she, and I always think about it. And the song's called Swan Dive. And it's about just like letting yourself think. And she says, I've got better things to do than survive. Mm. <laughs> you know, and to me, that survival is just sort of um, trying to stay afloat. But like, I've got better things to do than try and stay afloat. Mm. <laughs> if that makes sense. 100% it does. I often say as well that um, if you're afraid to fail, then you're not going to really get anywhere in life. That's going to be good. And oftentimes, you know, there's this shying away from actually failing too many times. I think for me, I tell people as well, this is another one of my sayings, be persistent to remain consistent at the things that you want. And one of those things you got to be persistent at is be persistent at failing. And right. don't be afraid of it because you're going to rise above it. You're going to become so much better. You're going to learn so much more as a result. Right. Yeah. So I, I fully agree. Hmm. Zara, I wanted to ask you as well about 
this how you grew up like did you always want to be a writer what were your dreams hopes ambitions and goals you know it's funny because I never wanted to be a writer um my whole life since I was very very young like six seven I always wanted to be an actor and um I started pursuing acting very seriously going on auditions as a teenager I booked my first movie when I was 17 and a half and I I missed my last month of high school and I never thought like but I always loved writing that was Mm. the thing I always just did it like it was like breathing to me and it's funny because I'm actually staying at my parents for the next few weeks and I'm looking in these old notebooks and it's just like feverish journaling throughout my entire life um but I never thought it was something that I could do because I thought that writing was for people who really excelled academically and I never excelled Mm. academically and I also don't really do I think that school in America at least is very um I said the teachers especially with writing they don't really encourage creative writing and Mm. I would always write these essays about books I'd read and I'd get into the details and the nitty-gritty and that's never what they wanted and you know you're raised to think that teachers have all the answers and that they're the key holders of what it means to be a good writer. So I just put it to bed and I did have um, a social media. It was called, it was way before MySpace or anything. It was called Live Journal. Mm. And teenagers, teenagers would just write about their lives and other teens would follow them. And it was back when none of our parents knew how to use the internet. So I never worried about them seeing it. And I was really into that as an outlet. And I did have quite a good following and made Mm. quite an impact, but I just never connected that it was something I could do. And um, I was, you know, going for the acting thing. And I really, and I hate when people say this about things that I've worked hard at, but I really fell into writing. Um, Mm. It just like, I got offered a video blog at a local publication and I found that I was getting really into just writing the blurbs and they would get longer and longer each time. And then I was looking for something new to do with my life. And I applied for a writing job at Elite Daily. Didn't think I would get it in a million years. Did the edit test, put it away, got the job. And Mm -hmm. now it's, I mean, I'm just so happy. And I think it's so important to be open to things in life because I'm a very stubborn person naturally. And it's like, no, this is what you're going to do. You're going to do acting. And I was running a teen outreach theater and directing and all this stuff that I loved. But I just said yes to this opportunity. And I was sure I was going to fail. Mm. But they're going to they're gonna fire me. I don't know what the hell I'm doing. Everyone's going to realize that I'm a snob. I don't even think they realize I didn't graduate from college. You know, um, they're going to realize they made a big mistake. But I just, I went for it anyway, and it ended up taking on this life of its own. And now I, I can't imagine my life doing anything else. This is what I meant to do. I love it so much. And yeah, I mean, there is room for people who are, mm. you know, maybe not didn't go to school for journalism. You know, in fact, I think those voices are really great to have in, you know, out there. So mm. I'm so happy I was open. That's awesome. Like, are you still at Elite Daily now or have you since left? No, no, I'm still like, I'm so grateful to that place. And I was there for about three and a half years and I quickly became the senior sex and dating writer. Again, my first 
essay I wrote ended up going super viral. I couldn't believe it. I was like, wow, you know, it's kind of like a big sort of FU to all the teachers that were like, you use too much detail. You have too much voice. You have to be a little distant. And I did all the things I I said to myself going into this, even though I don't know what I'm doing, I'm going to be authentic. I made that Mm. promise to myself and I did it. And it really resonated and um, it felt so good. But, you know, eventually I moved on, you know, as we do in life. I wanted to write my book and um, I got a job actually editing at a really popular um, print magazine and then realized, you know, even though I love editing, writing is what I meant to do. Mm. And here we are. Yeah. Wow. And and in I mentioned in the um, the intro there that you your first essay sort of went viral for what did you actually write about in that first essay that made it go viral? It sounds so stupid. It was called Seven Reasons Why Your Hairdresser Is Your Best Friend. Wow. <laughs> so it, sounds, it sounds like this is like completely vapid. And it was just, and it, was, I mean, it wasn't vapid, but it was fun. And I really just went for it. And, you know, mm. my hairdresser happens to be my best friend since high school. And I just had so much fun with it and it landed on people. And then all these hairdressers were sharing it and big hair blogs. And it just, you never know. Like I never thought it would be an essay about hair, but that's how it started for me. Wow. And then from that, you started writing about these first person essays, getting real deep into, I guess, sexual identity, mental health and party girl lifestyle as well. Was that from a personal point of view, from what you experienced? Definitely. Definitely from a personal point of view. It's so funny because when I wrote, so back in the, these days in the in the internet, it was probably like, I don't know, 2012. I know that doesn't seem so long ago, but in internet mm. years, that's like a lifetime ago. Um, but it was, everyone would write things that weren't first person. Everything was a listicle, everything, you know, I think it was a time where people really sort of dumbed down and underestimated the audience. So everyone said to me, you know, why don't you try, right? I wanted to write a piece about depression because Mm. I had really struggled with it so badly. Um, And especially I was living in London in my early twenties and I just had a really huge breakdown and thank Mm. God I did because there's so much beauty in the breakdown, but I wanted, I just felt really called to write about it. And my editor said to me, it probably won't do well. This is a little too sophisticated for our audience. They're here to have a good time, but let's just try it and see what happens. Mm. So I went for it, didn't put it in a list and was so nervous because it was so personal. It was the first time I really got personal and it did so well. And not only did it just do well numbers wise, it had a really long, like we started to look deeper into the analytics and it had you know, like a seven and a half minute time on page and comments. And that's when people started reaching out to me Mm. and telling me their stories and and thanking me. And I'm like, this is where I want to go. Like once I, I sort of dug deep and was just took the mask off, I never wanted to go back. So I kept taking it further. You know, I, then I started writing about my sexuality and up until that point, writing for elite daily, we would do all of my articles gender neutral because we're like, you know, we don't really have a, I'm a lesbian, but they were like, we don't really have a big um, gay following. So if you write she, it might throw the audience off. Totally understand. I mean, I was the one that was like, oh, I'll just write gender neutral. 
And then I started just saying, screw it. And mm-hmm. I found that nobody noticed. Everybody just want, and everyone just wanted, like everyone can relate to heartbreak. Everyone can relate to um, being nervous about having sex with someone they like for the first time. Everyone can relate to trauma. It doesn't matter what the pronouns are. It's the heart of it's there. And I just, yeah, I, I couldn't, st- once you get real, it feels so liberating. It feels so good, especially as a creative person. You can't, can't really come back from that. So I just kept doing it and kept going further and further and it would resonate and land deeper and deeper. Mm. Wow. It must have taken a lot to actually be vulnerable and get to that place where you don't know exactly what other people are going to say about you being, I guess, vulnerable and putting yourself out there, especially when it comes down to, I guess, talking about all these hot topics, which are the mental health, depression, because I, I struggled with depression from the age of 14 uh, to the age of 15 and then more recently last year as well. I went through a pretty bad breakup uh, last year uh, with, a, with a girl that I had put pretty much all my focus and attention on. I had made the future pretty much it. Nothing else mattered but her and us and where we were going together. So when that all like split apart, and at the same time, I had just started a career in real estate. I was lost. I was completely, uh, my whole identity was shattered, you could say. And right. I didn't know how to get out of it. And that went on for like months until I finally realized, you know, it was like a wake-up call. Like I had a breakdown. I was just like, enough's enough, you know. And like you said in the, right there, there is beauty in the breakdown, 100%. It may hurt, but you you get to that place where you finally realize, okay, I need to change. I'm sick and tired of being at this place where I feel miserable. I just feel numb. Why do I feel numb? I need Mm. need something different in my life. So I want to ask you, uh, Zara, before we get into the other stuff, why, if you don't mind me asking, why were you depressed? Um, that's a great question. And to be perfectly uh, transparent, I still struggle with depression is a process for me. Um, I've been on various medications for it, therapy, meditation. It's something that I have to work on every single day or it creeps back. Um, and sometimes it still creeps back when I'm doing all the things. Mm. But I think for me, I think, I, I do think part of depression can be chemical, um, And I think that I do have a natural tendency. I think I might have a little less serotonin in my brain than some people. Um, And I find a lot of people that I connect with are the same way. They kind of struggle with feeling melancholy. I also think if you're empathetic and your receptors are open, how can you not be depressed? You know, there's a lot of shit in the world. I mean, watching Mm. the news or watching a movie, it's like I can... I can be out for three days after watching a really sad movie because I absorb it so much. But I think for me, it was not having a proper creative outlet. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that creativity does not like to be dormant. And if you don't nurture it or take care of it or express it or prioritize it, it it metastasizes into depression and pain. And you have this feeling all the time, like you're carrying all this weight with you and, Mm -hmm. you know, in the American school systems, creativity is not valued at all. Um, 
you know, they're looking at people who can do, who can be sort of good, not amazing at one thing, but good at everything. They call it well-rounded, you know, colleges, they want well-rounded students. And uh, rather than somebody who's really great at music and who cares if they're, they're not good at math, it's like, that doesn't matter if you're great at music, you hire people who are good at math to take care of that for you. But because none of that was ever nurtured or valued, I, I, I didn't really have a place to put it. So it made me really sad. And then as I got older, that sadness, not knowing where, what to do with it, that heaviness made me self-destructive. Um, and I think that happens to a lot of young people, a lot of people who I've spoken to who have struggled with addiction, who have, you know, sort of, they were difficult teens and maybe got sent to places. It's because they had this creative fire inside them that was never nurtured or appreciated. And you end up taking that fire and unleashing the flames onto yourself mm. if you don't have anywhere to do with it. So I think once I started, and that's why acting was such a great thing for me for all those years. I, I still love acting so much, but it was the one time where I felt like I, I can, I can do something with this energy, this feeling, and I would feel lighter. I would feel physically lighter afterwards. Mm. So I think a lot of it, yeah, not having a place to put, put all that stuff. Mm. I, I understand what it's like to, to not be able to repress who you really are. It's made me accepting of not just the LGBTQ community, but everyone. Like I am really open about people from all religions. Like I know people who are, who are very judgmental over Christians, who mm. are very judgmental over Muslim people, um, lo different lifestyles all over the world. But I, I'm not like that because I've experienced adversity. I've overcome it. And I really think everyone just needs to do whatever makes them happy and feel in alignment. So I, I think it's such a blessing to be mm. a little different, you know? <laughs> I like, I like your, um, your energy, Zara. It's, um, it's one, one of positivity, you know, I, oh, I, think, thank you. I think what you have been able to overcome is, is special. And I think people that thank are listening, you. listening to this right now, you know, that may feel like they are different. I always knew that I was different in the sense, the way that I go about my life and what I do. So in terms of business, um, not partying, not, not drinking, not smoking, not doing all those things. I always knew that about me. And for the most part, you know, there's a lot of peer pressure that comes along when you grow right. up, like you, you feel that you're disconnected from the group so to speak, but I didn't care about being liked by the group. You know, I wanted to fit in 100%, but the way I fit in was not exactly how everyone else wanted me to fit in, if that makes sense. Like I fit in with sport and did that. I fit in and I did my own thing when it came to making movies and, and writing and um, just reading. I, I kind of liked it. Like I was never, I always knew who I was, if that makes sense, and knew what I wanted. Right. Very confident in that. Um, so I think it's important for young people at the moment that are struggling to just search it out. Like ask yourself the tough questions, ask yourself why, and don't be afraid to ask people that know more about you those kinds of tough questions because don't be afraid to do it. Otherwise, you're going to feel miserable. You know, I think that's that's a very important um, um, message to send. 
So. I agree. Um, do you mind if I ask you a question? Go for it. Yes. Um, so you said you mentioned you don't, you're not into drinking or partying and, no. and you never were. No. Do you feel like in a way that's kind of given you a greater sense of self? Because as someone who did start drink, I don't, you know, now I, my lifestyle is completely not a party girl lifestyle at all. But, um, you know, I find that for me and a lot of my friends that started drinking at a young age, and started dabbling in pills or whatever. And it's very normalized. Mm. You know, it's, it's all very normalized. That's what, that's what young people do. Mm. But I think for me, and I think so many people aren't doing it to have fun. They're doing it to numb something or to, to fit in because they don't feel like um, they fit in naturally. Mm. So do you feel like staying away from that gave you a greater clarity and sense of self? Because I feel like that, that's a Band-Aid. And when that band-aid's piled on and piled on, you one day look in the mirror, you don't even see your skin, you don't recognize yourself, mm. you know? So um, I'm curious, do you feel like that shapes you? In a way, it kind of did. Uh, the way I look at it was I didn't want to, you know, I, I saw what it did to a lot of my friends. And I, mm. I like my older brother did it. He He went down that road. And, you know, I saw him come home one day and he was – he was um, hung over pretty bad. He had a lot of pain that he was going, like that he had. And I just remember looking at that and saying, okay, I don't want to go down that road because where is the value? Why, right. should, why should I waste my time that's quite precious spending it going and having fun, but it doesn't really look like fun to me. See, for me, I saw fun as staying in my room, writing something or creating something, being creative. That's what I saw as who I was, not someone that goes and follows the crowd and does everything that is, quote, normalized by a lot of young people to go out there and party. You know, everyone thought that I was strange and like, why don't you want to go out and party, Jay? And I said, well, firstly, uh, I can't drink, number one for my choice, secondly, for health reasons. Thirdly, I don't see there's any value in that. Like going out, for example, I like having, sitting down, having deep and meaningful conversations with people. Yeah. When I'm at a club or doing all that sort of stuff, one thing, I can't even hear the other person talking because the music is so <laughs> loud. And then secondly, right. there's no real connection because in, in the deeper sense, I mean, there would be like this physical attraction, but I didn't see value to be had, really. I'm not about the quick in and out go for it. I'm about the long term, how can I establish a much deeper relationship with the person? And that that's just what I liked. And I, I knew that from a very young age, even when I was a young kid. You know, I never got on well with my own age group. I would always go to the adults and ask the adults Same. questions, you know, like that's how I felt was more valuable and a better use of my time. <laughs> and and right. um, like drinking, smoking, partying was just never really my scene and I make no apologies to anyone for not going out there. I, I see it today. I'm asked today, why don't you go out? You're 24, uh, you, you know, you got so much so much life, I said, look, I don't see like this value. And to be honest with you, there's only one sort of guy that goes to a club or, you know, like it, it's. Definitely. 
seriously, like the the pickup mentality, you can these days with relationships, you can swipe right. It's so easy. Like they've they've made it, but there's no real value in that Zara, and that's why. I, to answer your question, I feel like it has shaped who I am as a person, but in a good way. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I definitely see that. And I think that's a perspective that needs to be shared more because I, same thing, growing up, I always connected more with people older than me. I always loved talking to my parents, friends. And when I was around people my own age, I felt a little lost, yeah. you know? And like you're saying, joy for me has always been in creativity, in reading, and in, in really having a deep conversation with an uncomfortable conversation. Like, let's mm. go there. Like, that's what lights me up. But I think that for so long, because I didn't, again, know what to do with the creativity, it just felt like drinking and partying would sort of dull the fire in me. Mm. And I didn't know then. And I wish I knew I had figured it out younger, like you had, is that the fire is all the magic. It's mm. everything that makes me who I am. It's everything that wants, makes me want to write and connect and be deep. But in a culture where that's not valued and you haven't learned what to do with it, you want to just snuff it out and be like everybody else. And drinking and partying, again, I'm not anti in any way, like everyone, and, and I've been there. Mm. <laughs> um, but what it does is it just sort of makes you a, a duller version of yourself. And I think a lot of people are at clubs and they're not feeling connected and they're not feeling like they fit in. And rather than walking away, they drink more mm. because your tolerance for bullshit, pardon my French, <laughs> your, your tolerance for all that is a lot bigger when you have this thing sort of numbing your instincts and your feelings, you yeah. know? And also it's why lots of young women get into trouble and end up like getting in the car with the bad guy and then having a really bad situation. It's something mm. inside of them says, this isn't right. This person isn't good for me. Take a shot to numb that voice. I call them girl, yep. girl alarms. And I think everyone has it intuition, but you, you want to silence them. You want to silence them. And then you end up in a bad situation or you wake up one day and you think, what am I doing with my life? None mm. of this is serving me. And if you've been doing it for a really long period of time, you kind of, and I have a lot of friends and I've been through this too. You kind of have an identity crisis mm. because you've been putting a mask on for so long. So you try and be sober for a while and you're like, I have to really look in the mirror at myself. And someone like you has been doing that for so long. You know, it, it's, I think it's really powerful. And I, I really just love to hear young people talk about that, you know, mm. could save you a lot of time <laughs> that you've wasted in a club trying to be someone you're not, you know? Exactly. I feel like a lot of that has to do with like, you know, when you smile at someone and they don't smile back um, or you see people and they just look miserable. I think a lot of that has to do with the fear of vulnerability, mm. the fear of being rejected, the fear of feeling anything. So if you're living your life and you're afraid that if you smile at someone, they're not going to smile back, you're going to get rejected. You're never going to recover. So that fear of rejection is like leading your life, which I think it leads so many people's lives. Think of how many people just take the safe route in life because they're scared of trying and failing, like you talked about earlier. Um, but if you're afraid of that, putting yourself out there is vulnerable. And if you're afraid of being vulnerable, you're never going to have a semblance of happiness. You're never going to be able to connect with anyone. Mm -hmm. And um, you can't pick and choose. You can't say, okay, I'm going to, 
smile at someone and try and have a connection with someone, but then shove down my fear of feeling sad. Or, you know, it's like you shut down one emotion, you're shutting down them all. And mm. I can say this as someone who's tried to compartmentalize emotions very hard and it doesn't work like that. So yeah, I feel like the culture is so afraid of vulnerability. What mm. do you think? I'd have to agree with you. I think vulnerability for a lot of people equals pain. And once again, like we go back to the very beginning, no one wants to be in pain. It's kind of like your body. I think there's a lot of people that actually have been hurt by the wrong kind of people and the right kind of people are still out there, but they feel like they're never going to find them. So like, what's the point? I'll just keep numbing myself to everything that comes my way. And for that one person that you do end up finding that is actually good and represents good, then you also numb yourself to that too. Like you can't, you can't convince, you can't control or change somebody's life. That is their own choice. And I think it's important to show and be a voice and be an example first and foremost so then they can see it and they can say, well, the reason why I am so vulnerable by is because I know that if I am vulnerable, it comes to, I want to help. And I know that if I, if I am vulnerable, I can help people because I've seen it work. So I'm not afraid of anything that I've been through. I don't see it as shameful. Uh, and trust me, Zara, I've, I've had my fair share of, of demons too. So, um, I'm not afraid to share anything that is hopefully going to help somebody. And I may never know who it's going to help. But if I'm vulnerable, then hopefully that can be a catalyst to, and the thing with, with you being vulnerable too, can be a catalyst for other people to see it, hear it, and then follow suit. Right. Right. I think there's a, there's almost like an epidemic of, uh, fear of, of vulnerability. And I've really thought about that a lot. And so much of my book is, I would say if like there was an overarching theme of my book, it's like feelings are like your superpower, you know, don't be afraid to feel. In fact, the first chapter of the book is called feelings can't kill you. Mm -hmm. And I think that a lot of that has to do with people experiencing trauma at a really young age. And when I say trauma, I don't necessarily mean someone's physical, I think a lot of people are sadly physically abused or sexually abused, but I think um, it can also be very small. It could be something that you don't even think is traumatic, but when your first sort of experiences with anything vulnerable, asking for help, or I know for a lot of women, the sexual experiences at a young age that were terrifying, it's like when you try to be vulnerable and you're open and you're stepped on and you're stomped on, you all of a sudden are like, you lock up shop, you lower mm. the blinds. You're like, I'm not doing this again. And then the second that say you meet someone who's amazing and you want to be vulnerable with them, you push them away because the second you feel the vulnerability, even if it feels good, it triggers this past trauma mm. and your body shuts down. And it's, it's like, it starts from such a young age, you know, and that's why this work is, is hard. I mean, and I'll never lie to people about that. Like really healing 
and learning, like you have to look in the mirror and you're not always going to like what you see. You're going to have to look at your past and things that are scary to revisit, but it's so worth it because you can't, like they call it spiritual bypass. Like Mm. there's no bypassing these things. You know, you can try again. I've tried really hard, (laughs) but until I really confronted like past traumas and things like that, was I able to be vulnerable, like in a relationship and vulnerable with a, with a partner that was good for me and mm. open myself up to positive experiences. Cause I was in this fight or flight, you know? So the second I felt vulnerable, I, I would flash back to this terrible trauma mm. and I would, you know, it, it was bigger than me. So mm. I think, yeah, it's, it's a lot, but it's, it's a lot, but it's, it's so worth it to go there. A hundred percent. Like it's the beauty of life. I think. I, I I fully, fully agree. I mean, that is the key to overcoming anything is to be persistent and to show up for yourself, even when you don't want to. Yes. And I think that the culture too is so afraid of being uncomfortable and we, and it's, it's, we're just a product of our environment. So I don't, I don't blame people for that, but like, we can't tolerate discomfort at all. Mm. You know, it's like one off day you're put on medication you know, I have, I've done this myself. I, I wouldn't even bring my friends into it because I've done it. It's like anxiety. Let's pop, let's pop the, the pill to make the anxiety go away. Uh, social anxiety. Let's have the personality drink before we go out. Um, talking about the past. Let's run away. I don't want to feel that. I don't want to deal with it. Like we can't handle being uncomfortable, mm. but like the whole growth is in the discomfort that's that's where everything all the magic happens is sitting in the anxiety even if it's uncomfortable being persistent showing up still going to do the thing even though sometimes the emotion is so uncomfortable you think it's going to kill you but then you do it anyway and you realize this emotion was uncomfortable but it's not going to kill me a Mm. feeling can't ever kill me and that's how you get strong and then little by little you're you get to this really amazing place you know so Mm. I love, I think persistence is such a great word. Mm. I've really enjoyed this conversation. Really, <laughs> really hot though for our generation and for, mm. for millennials and Gen Z, it's because we've grown up with no tolerance for it. There's a pill mm. for everything. There's something for everything. There's a reality. Like, I look at people who watch hours and hours and hours of reality TV and become obsessed with reality TV. That's also a cocktail. Mm. That's also a pill. You know, it's, it's numbing your, 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 feelings you know it's a quick fix to a a larger problem that you you right it's got to take time you got to work on it every single day like persistence is painful sometimes it hurts that's okay because hurting isn't going to kill you you know nope absolutely not (laughs) um i've got one more question for you zara because i feel like i've i've used so much of your time really enjoy this conversation by the way this, this one is my legacy question that I love asking people at the end. So you've been able to reach the age of 100 and your friends have put together a film for you of everything you've ever said and everything you've ever done and asked me how they got it all. We'll call it magic, but they just did. And they've shown it to you on your 100th birthday. What do you want that film to say and to show about your life? Oh, this is deep. <laughs> um, wow. Uh, I think... I think I, I I want to be shown that I really went for it 
I really went after, I know that sounds cliche, but that I really went after the things that I wanted to go after and that I did not let fear drive the car. Mm. I heard a great analogy by Elizabeth Gilbert, who's a great writer. And she was yeah. saying that you want, it's okay. Like fear is normal. It can be in the car with you. It's in the back seat, but it can't be behind the wheel, mm-hmm. you know, and we let it go behind the wheel. Mm. So it's like, no, 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 that's go in the back seat. It's there. It's normal. It fear protects you sometimes from being destructive, but I don't want to, look at my life at 100 and think I let fear drive the car. And while I can come across as confident and um, like I do put myself out there, I still am struggling a lot with, with fear Mm. and, you know, like just leaving my day job in a magazine, that, that was such a scary thing that I did. And um, it took me way too long to do it because I was just so afraid of things falling apart. And then I finally like ripped the bandaid off, but I want to keep ripping the bandaid off Mm. and I want to go further and further and further. And especially creatively, I think fear and creativity, like they're not friends, Mm. (laughs) you know? So I want to look back at my life and be like, okay, fear is fine, but she sat in the back. (laughs) She didn't drive the vehicle. I love it. I feel like that's a perfect way to sort of, that makes perfect sense. And I feel like it's a great way to sort of end that conversation today, Zara. You've been absolutely awesome. You've been vulnerable. I appreciate that about you. And where can people find you? Where can people connect with you and learn more about you and buy your book? Uh, well, thank you so much. I've had so much fun. I could talk to you all day. Um, Same. You can find my book on Amazon, any of the, really wherever books are sold. Uh, you can find me on Instagram at Zara Berry, uh, Facebook, Zara Berry Words. And yeah, I put a lot of content out there. I um, I have a blog as well. And my writing is like, I, I probably publish an essay five times a week. Wow. So I'm always putting out new content. This is what I love. And yeah, I, I respond to every message. So if anyone wants to reach out about anything, I'm here. I'm known on the internet as the lesbian big sister. Oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I'm, I'm like the big sister. So if you ever need big sister advice, you know where to find me. <laughs> awesome. Well, I, I, I'll put everything in the show notes below so they can find it for you. Zara, thank you so much for coming on the Storybox podcast. Thank you so much. Have a beautiful day since your day is starting. <laughs> I will. I'm actually going to have breakfast. <laughs> <laughs> I don't like this part because it means, sadly, we have come to an end of yet another incredible story. I just want to say thank you to all of you for tuning in and listening to our guest today. It is my prayer that you would have felt inspired, motivated, challenged in some way, and that you would have learned something new as well. If you'd like to hear more amazing stories like this one, you can do so now by searching up the story box on any podcast platform. It's that easy. If you did get something from our guest today, please share it around to a friend or family member that you think could benefit from hearing this powerful story. And before you go, please leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. It will only take 30 seconds and it will go towards reaching more people. Let's start changing lives through powerful stories like this one. Your support is greatly appreciated. Until next time, when we dive back into the story box, I'm Jay Phantom, and don't forget, your story is worth more than you know. I'll catch you next time.